Welcome to the I Believe Podcast, an Acure Insight production, brought to you by Castle Biosciences. I'm your host, Danae Peterson, a fellow ocular melanoma survivor. Here on the podcast, we'll be sharing information and insights on treatments, research, and living with ocular melanoma. Castle Biosciences tests are designed to provide clinicians precise and personalized tumor information for the benefit of patient care. If you would like more information about how Castle is transforming the treatment of eye cancer, visit castletestinfo.com. Good morning. I want to talk to you guys today about the Insight Registry. This is a registry that is near and dear to my heart. We've been working on it for years. It was the brainchild of Dr. Bertel D'Amato who came to UCSF from the UK. We're good? Okay, so he came from the UK. He was at Moorfields, and um, UCSF needed an ocular oncologist. So they asked Bertel to come over to revamp their, their program. So when he got here, he's like, how do you guys not have a patient registry? We have one. I developed one in, in the UK. And so he started looking into our medical history and our medical system and realized that we have a crazy health insurance system in the United States. And it made it impossible to do a, a patient registry because he couldn't get into anybody's records like he could in the UK because they're, you know, they are all on one system. So we thought and we thought and we worked and we could not figure it out. But he really wanted to have this registry. So unfortunately, he had to go back to the UK and he left Dr. Armin Afshar in charge. And Dr. Afshar has been working with us to get this registry started. So it's been in the works since about 2015. So I want you all to understand that. Um, we were quiet about it because we didn't want to get anybody's hopes up if we couldn't pull it off, to be real honest. We weren't out there saying, oh, next year, next year, next year, and it never happened. So, finally, through the advancements of computers, the National Organization of Rare Disordered, NORD, developed an I Am Rare platform. And it worked for us. So we were able to get our registry on the Nord platform in 2020, which was a fitting year. So we just celebrated our third birthday. Now, why do we need a registry? All kinds of reasons. But the most, in, the most important reason is because it's a way for you to tell your story, and it is part of history. All of your information is de-identified, so nobody can trace it back to you, but you have told your story in the history of ocular melanoma. You can keep track of everything. You can download your medical records. Everything gets de-identified, so it's not going to come back. You're not, you're not violating any privacies. Nobody's ever going to ever find out who you are. But it's very important because it's going to help researchers to understand how ocular melanoma works. If we can find out that there's half of the class 2s are not metastasizing, it can help make the class 2s a little bit their life a little easier. They don't have to worry so much about having to face metastatic disease if it might not be them. You know, so as, as science continues to advance and we keep putting this information in the registry, it's really going to help us kind of keep a history of ocular melanoma. So why should you join it is because you're going to help advance research. 
we ask for donations quite often. And there's plenty of people out there that just can't afford to give a dollar. But you can give your information, which is far more valuable than money. Because this is, this is information that's going to live forever. And so people can look back and say, oh, look, look at the trends in ocular melanoma. You know, if there are any, they'll be able to find them. And that's so important. So I want you to understand that, th that we've been working on this for a lot of years. We opted to go with Nord because it cost us $3,000 a year to maintain that platform. Not $300,000. $3,000. So we're making good use of our research donation money. We're trying very hard to, to give you guys um, as much as we can with as little dollars as possible so that we can spread our research money around. So this is something that's going to really help us as we, as we continue to be researching um, melanoma. Now, Kevin's going to talk to you a little bit about the clinical side of it. Well, first, I wanted to thank Melody for probably eight years of work on this, something along those lines. Uh, it's been an incredible journey. I've only been associated with her and Lauren and the board and Acura Insight for four years since my diagnosis in Philadelphia, but um, it's an incredible journey to put this registry together. And thanks also to the National Organization of Rare Diseases who has the, you know, the information platform, but what Melody and colleagues at ACIS have done is actually populate it very specifically with information and questions that are in the registry that um, actually populate the information that's particular to our disease. So that was a very major effort to you know, put those questions together very accurately so that this registry would have meaningful information. Um, and so why is a registry important? Well, as Melody explained, it's de-identified, and that's kind of a clinical statistical data management term for your name and your address and your location, the personally identifiable information about you doesn't go any further. Um, it doesn't go into the summary results, the tables, the data tables with all the numbers. Um, anyone who eventually gets a hold of some of this data for their own research purposes will not be able to come back and identify you. So it's, if you will, it's blind to the users of the data that comes out of the registry. Hannah, um, I think a couple months ago we took a look and saw how many patients, uh, ocular melanoma patients, have enrolled. Can you update us? Um, we have a slide that will come a little later with some breakdowns, but we have about 780 um, participants that have enrolled and um, gone through the process to start. Well, it's not only the world's first uh, registry in ocular melanoma, but I think it's also the largest at this point, point. Um, and that's really a huge accomplishment. So congratulations for what you all and everyone else watching from around the world have done to make this registry so robust at this point. Um, and so what happens with all that information that goes into the registry? So after you answer all the questions and input the data that you can recall and remember or have at hand that goes into the registry, um, then people can go in, uh, people from University of California, San Francisco, or for Nord, or for Acura Insight can go in and have a look at the data in a summary fashion in the numbers. And the numbers can be useful in telling much more than what publications of studies can tell us with dozens of patients. Here we have over 780 patients now. And so across that population of all the patients who have input data into our registry, we can now look at demographics of our disease. Those are the characteristics beyond just age and gender. 
um, a lot of other useful information on the people who, the real people, the real patients who are contributing to the registry and what treatments we've received over time. And major test results, um, including MRIs or genomics, can be added at your discretion if you want to add that. Again, blinded information so it doesn't come back to you personally but also the treatment outcomes. So not only are you in the registry, but you can also report to the registry how things have gone along your treatment history and what outcomes you've had. And certainly people with metastatic disease go on and can have multiple treatments over time, and that's very useful information. Uh, it's an important way to survive in our disease right now until we find more curative therapies. Um, but more importantly, it informs people who are designing clinical trials right now in the drug companies and in the clinical cancer centers around the world, they can go into our registry and bring out data, again, just the numbers, of the characteristics of patients that will actually go into writing the protocol, and they call it inclusion and exclusion criteria. The characteristics of the person's case that would make them eligible to go into a clinical trial, but also those characteristics that might exclude you um, along the lines particularly of safety information that might exclude you for going into that clinical trial. So that's a couple of ways that the data can be useful in designing new clinical trials. And that's hugely valuable in a rare disease because as I mentioned, when you go out to PubMed and you search literature in our disease, there's not a lot in history. We're just seeing the emergence as I'll explain tomorrow at 10 o'clock Pacific time, the emergence of a lot more clinical data the last few years. Go through some of those trials in detail um, but when you look at these, there tend to be dozens of patients in a clinical trial instead of the 780, 83, 783 patients who have kindly uh, joined the registry at this point. So it's a much bigger number, a bigger pool of patient, inf real world patient information uh, that can go into designing clinical trials. But there's one other important use, and I have to be a little careful because I signed a confidentiality agreement, but there is a private nonprofit foundation in the United States that has a research program underway the last few years that's looking for risk factors in rare diseases. And so it might be things like sun exposure or UV exposure without sunglasses or things like that in uveal melanoma. But they're going to be looking at databases that exist and try to uncover if there might be other risk factors in our regular lives as we age that might portend um, the development of uveal melanoma or maybe triggers uh, for uveal melanoma. So that project's about halfway through right now, and they were terribly excited to hear about this registry, the Insight Registry. So we're just in the early phases of discussing with them their potential access to the database as well. Again, blinded, they'll just get data out of that and see if there might be some risk factors that might be meaningful here. So that's about it. All right, let me pass it back. Thank you. Um, I think that's so valuable to hear from a researcher's perspective what this data means. Um, and I just wanted to talk for a little bit about, um, from my perspective as a normal I, I wouldn't, <laughs> I'm not a researcher or a biologist, but um, I just want to kind of tell you a story about what this community has, how you've impacted me. Um, a year ago in Nashville, I met, I've met many of you there and since here, but um, I had started at ACIS a week before, I think, maybe five days I had worked with ACIS. Um, 
and I have no personal connection with ocular melanoma. I've never, I had never even heard of it, you know, as many of you can relate to before your diagnosis. Um, and I just happened upon their website, wanted to volunteer, and then ended up, they said, hey, actually, we need someone. Are you, would you want to work? And anyway, it has evolved into um, what I do full time now. But anyway, so I come to Nashville. I have not really any experience with ocular melanoma or this group. Um, and I remember just being so astounded by the, the energy that you guys have here. Um, and just in this group, the, the community, there's, I'm, you go through some just incredibly challenging things. Um, but what I think is amazing is that you're able to come together and kind of share those experiences with one another and talk to each other. And um, there's just some real raw emotion that is here and that I could feel as an outsider. Um, so with that perspective, then I got to be, I got to work, I've been working on the Insight Registry quite a bit and I've loved it because it's a chance for that energy to be transferred to numbers and then those numbers be transferred to researchers that can work on treatments and cures for you. I think um, my background is in writing and literature and telling stories. Um, and I think so often that we see a disconnect between the wonderful scientific minds that can do those chemical formulas and analyze the data and do all that kind of important work. And, um, and then the emotion, you know, of what you experience on a day-to-day, -day, um, just living life with this disease and what that's like. So often I think there's a disconnect between those two very important but separate and different things. And I love um, working on the Insight Registry because it's kind of a little bridge between the two. You, um, when you are part of the registry, you're more than just one in an aggregate number of 783 or whatever it grows to. Um, it's a chance for you to tell your story and have that represented and then for that to go to um, a place where researchers can do some real important work. We have amazing providers and physicians and um, biologists and labs, and they do so. They're, I'm always astounded as well at their um, ability to kind of try to empathize with what you go through. But I think there's something really powerful about this, in, this registry that's patient-reported data. And you can talk about your diagnosis and your treatment, but also quality of life and the different feelings you're going through. So I think it's, it's very powerful that way. Just wanted to share a little bit of that. Um, and then, because I, I love data and the way it tells stories, I thought it might be interesting to kind of go through some of the little snapshots that this may look very familiar to those of you who have gone through the registry, because at the end of every survey, you get a little snapshot of where you fit in. Um, but I thought this would be kind of interesting to go through for those who it may have been a while since you've seen these, or, or maybe you've, you're... I'm not part of the registry yet. Um, so this is just a little snapshot of, of the result of a GEP tumor test. Um, and you can kind of see the breakdown. This only has 71 responses. Of course, we know that not everyone has this test done. Um, but it's kind of interesting to see the way it breaks down between class 1A, class 1B, class 2. Um, and then we see the results of the GEP and PRAME tumor test as well and how that breaks down. Um, and I think it's a it's an interesting snapshot to see, but it also kind of reinforces that point after you've taken this that you get to see that I'm a part of that, you know, that my story is, is included in that. 
Um, and then this is a this is a snapshot of what the result of impact genetic hereditary cancer panel was. Again, not everyone knows this information, so there are only 17 responses in this, but um, interesting to see. Um, and this was interesting to me, um, is the question about who is offered genetic testing for their ocular tumor. This question is mostly referring to your um, you being offered the test by your physician. Um, and I was, I was surprised by this result. It's uh, quite a bit different than I would have expected. Um, and this is for patients who have been diagnosed with metastatic disease. The time frame between the initial diagnosis of a primary tumor to then being diagnosed with metastatic cancer. Um, and you can kind of see a breakdown that is also interesting to me. Um, that is quite a large portion that's within a year. Um, this is just kind of, I'm sorry, it's quite small, but the top graph is um, the participant's natural hair color. I just thought was kind of interesting, um, where the large majority is, is brown and then followed by blonde and um, black and red and other. And then the graph below is the participant's eye color. Oh, and I guess it got cut off. Can you, oh, you can see it. But the large, the 219, the blue, is, is actually blue-eyed. Um, and then I believe 164 was brown. Um, that was just kind of interesting. Um, and this is just if the patient had symptoms that led them to go to the doctor to be eventually diagnosed. Um, and a large majority did, but there are also lots that didn't, and it must have just been found on routine eye exam. Um, so those are just kind of interesting, I believe that's the last one, interesting snapshots to see that it's just to give a view of how, I, I just think it's so fascinating to, to get a chance to see your stories, but represented in this graph that's easy to look at and read. Um, and then we heard from Kevin about why research world needs patients. This is, um, I, I was gonna preface this and say that I'm being a little vulnerable in sharing some of my the, uh, opportunity for improvement that I have in this job. <laughs> um, <laughs> but we've talked already about how our patient or our survey, we consider the 783 to be our number of, of included patients. Um, but this is kind of a flow chart where you can see the breakdown of what happens and where we lose participants. It's quite normal for a registry um, to lose people along every step of the way. That's just kind of the way it goes. But um, I just wanted to show that we have almost, we're nearing a thousand people that have registered as a respondent, um, but then they get kind of stuck there. Because once you've registered, you have to say, okay, it's me, I'm, I'm the person um, that's, that has this data that I'm giving, and then give consent, and then start the surveys. Um, and we lose people on every step. So <laughs> um, I'm sure this audience, you're here or you're listening, I'm sure we have a lot of rock stars that, are, that could teach me how to do this. But um, but in case you may be one of those people that's stuck somewhere, I would love to help you through it. Um, or if you know a friend that you think is, is maybe there, we would love to help you. And so I have a few, I've just kind of broken down how to go through the process of registering um, and giving consent and starting in case there is someone here that could use it. Um, again, it may be, I'm guessing this audience is all rock stars and it may be old news and you can sleep or or stay awake and nod politely, but um, <laughs> um, but I, we thought it would just be helpful. And um, again, you may have a friend that 
um, could use some help. So here is the, just the website that you find if you go to insight or iamrare.insight.org. Um, and then if you hit register on the bottom, the green button, it'll take you here. And then you fill out the information that is needed, just first and last name, um, an email, and I guess I forgot to delete my email from there, everyone can see. Um, and then once you've done that, you, you say I'm 18 years old and view the terms and conditions if you'd like. Um, and then once, that, once you've gone through that, it will send the email that you registered with a confirmation code. And you get to this page, and this is where we lose quite a bit because people get to this point and they think, oh, great, I've registered, which you have, but um, you're not quite in the data pool of, of taking surveys. So you go to your email. This is a fake email I created, and grab the code um, and put it in, and then you see this, this um, page that says that it's been successfully validated, and you can click Participant Enrollment, um, add yourself as a participant, or if you happen to be a, a supporter or a, maybe a parent of someone who, if you're not the person that has ocular melanoma but registering for someone else, you can do that as well. And, um, and then you'll add some extra information, your birthday, um, country of residence, and then the rest is just contact methods for us to send updates and more surveys. Um, and then you have to you get here and you say grant consent to take surveys. That's a big, that's a big step. And once you have, you can go back to participant enrollment um, and then agree again. <laughs> Feels like there's a lot of times you do that, but there you are. And then you can take your surveys if if you've done this and taken surveys, and then later you decide, you know what, I don't actually want my consent to be given. You can change that here, um, and you can edit your account if you change. Um, contact methods, and then this is a, I think there are one or two surveys that got cut off because there wasn't space, but then you can go through and take any of these surveys, and you can take one, and it's saved, and then if you run out of time, you come back, um, and then you can also go through and update these as, as needed if things change. So, so that's kind of where we're at with the survey, or with the registry, and um, again, if, if anyone has any Questions or any? Oh, yes. I do have a question. Do you have to complete all of those surveys to be included in the 783, or is it just like the one, one survey, you complete one survey, and then you're counted in that? That is a great question, yeah. Any survey you've taken, um, you'll be, or <laughs> once you've been to this point, you're counted in the 783. Um, our completed surveys is another big number that we watch, and I think we're at 537 or something. Um, and that's each of these surveys are counted as you know someone who's completed this survey. Um, but it, that is also a great point because we are currently working on some other surveys that we will be adding. <laughs> um, and one of them is a, a metastatic survey that's particular for metastatic patients. Um, and so you know if you are a patient that does not have metastatic disease, that would be a survey that you would probably not take. Um, Yes. Th thank you for that question. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit, too. I just mentioned that we're working on a metastatic survey. We're also working on a COVID survey, um, and it's, we're pretty excited about it. Um, we're still in the process of getting it submitted and approved and reviewed by the medical board, but 
um, here in the next few months, there will be two new additional surveys. Um, and that's been cool for me to work on, too, to just kind of um, think about what information we also could ask and what might be important to researchers. And um, so that's been very exciting. Uh, we also wanted to let you know that we are in the process of migrating to um, a 2.0 system, the NORD, our National Organization of Rare Disorders, um, is, is upgrading their system. And so with this upgrade, we will be able to have new languages that the survey or the registry will be translated to, um, which is exciting. And then there's also some exciting potential about data integration, um, essentially linking surveys and having them talk to each other, which is kind of the holy grail of, of registries. Um, and there's some exciting steps that that will work, or that will get us closer to. Um, we will be fully migrated within the next probably six months. Um, but and in the meantime, the, the registry will function as normal. So on your end, no, you don't have to think about it, even though it's something that I have to think about all the time <laughs> and worry about. Um, but if you want to join this, the registry or update your surveys, everything will transfer over smoothly and you shouldn't notice any, any major um, interruption. Um, and then we just, I would just like to, to close and we'll have a, a little bit extra for questions and comments that we may have um, and say that we are just so excited that this is such a great, reg great registry and a great community that's willing to work together and, and be vulnerable and submit this information and update. Um, we've kind of been told that five years was, it was a good benchmark to look for um, in a registry and that, that was kind of a a point where researchers would consider this data set to be substantial and worth looking at. Um, and we are in our third year, and we've actually had a few researchers that are unconnected to this community, but they've reached out to me and said, how can I, how can I, get, a, can I get some of this data? Can I do a study? Um, and so we're working on a process where they can um, go through the whole um, signing NDAs and the data transfer agreement and all of that, to, which it can be complicated. But um, we're, we're very excited to be considered um, worth looking at, you know, and, and even though we're not quite at that five-year mark that we have enough data and enough participation that researchers are getting excited. Um, so there's still plenty of room to grow, as we saw from that flow chart that I get to work on. Um, there's plenty of room for more participation and for, for um, more movement. But it's an exciting registry and an exciting time because I think this is going to be something that more and more people are, are interested in and wanting to do research on. So um, thank you. Of course. On this one. Thanks, Hannah. Yeah, I just wanted to go back one slide. Uh, when Hannah described the different surveys, um, for those that have not participated in the registry or those that have partially completed the surveys, I just wanted to relate when I initially filled out my surveys, um, I did it over time. It took me a couple days, uh, just filled out one or two surveys at a, at a sitting, and you can come back in and out. It's very easy. As long as you write down your username and your password, it's really easy to get back into this, and then just go down the list of other surveys that you haven't completed and answer the questions. And I think Melody's coming back up. The questions are actually very, easily understood. They're, they're very plainly worded questions. They're easy to address. A lot of times there are boxes to check off your answers. Uh, sometimes there's a little field where you're invited to type in your response. 
Um, and in certain places, uh, if you wanted to add test results, maybe an MRI result that was very important or genomic results, um, there are places to add that information very easily. So it's actually very user-friendly, I found. Could I just ask the people here in Seattle if you could just raise your hand if you've participated in the registry at this point? Okay. Well, for all those that haven't, I would just invite you to think about this. I think we have cards out at the table or in the bags, and it has the website link, and as Hannah showed in one of the earliest slides, it's just a matter of putting in some initial information that, again, is protected. It will not be released, but that's to help the registry get in touch with you in case they have questions um, and to start your account. It's pretty easy to start. I just wanted to go back to what Hannah said about the surveys. You do not have to answer each survey. You do not have to answer each question in each survey. However, for every question that you skip, you give an incomplete picture of yourself. If it doesn't apply to you, by all means, skip it. If you're uncomfortable with it, skip it. But if you just are tired of doing it, please go back and, and look at your answers and make sure that you filled it out well. Because when, they, when we pull all this data and we try to put it into some sort of order, there's a lot of blanks where people might have filled out some of the information but not all of the information. So the more information that you can put in this registry, the better it is. Less is not more here. More is better. We need all the information that you are willing to put in. Please remember, De-identified means it can't be traced to you. Your name, your personal information will show up nowhere. You are just become a statistic in a group of numbers. They don't see your individual answers. They see the answers to the questions, and then they see numbers to see how many answered these questions this way. So they're just going to be compiling numbers. So you've been reduced to a number, unfortunately, again. But... It's very important that you fill out as many of the survey questions as possible, and if it's a write-in answer, be as clear as possible, because this information is only as good as what you put in it. So if you really want to be a part of the registry, be clear, be concise, and answer as many questions as possible. We have 700 and some people who have taken the registry, but we only have 500 and some completed surveys, because not every person completes every survey. And that's okay. If you're not comfortable, don't, don't do it. But what you are comfortable with, please give us the best information that you can. Thank you, yeah. Um, yes, well, I think we'll open up for any questions and discussions. I know we have one. Um, and also, I'll say, if, if you have a question that you'd rather not ask in front of the whole group, you're welcome to come find me anytime this weekend. Um, and I can either help you or I can give you my email, and we can do it over email later. And I think there was a. Well, my
Thank you. Yeah. For anyone virtual that may not have heard, um, Anne was mentioning that it might be good to have a way of, of submitting what is the barrier of keeping people from filling out the survey or joining the registry, um, and just how important as a longitudinal study this is, um, that as time goes on and as different things happen, it's important to keep track. Um, do you want me to just say it? <laughs> okay. Oh, virtually, yeah. <laughs> it was. That's true. Well, it was, anyway. Um, yes, if anyone would like to send me an email, write it down, or anyone virtual that would like to find it, it's just um, H-A-N-N-A, Hannah, at acureinsight.org. And also, if you forget or need, if you send an email to the help line that we have on our website, it will also, we'll be able to find it there. Awesome. So thank you. And anyone else, if you guys have questions, if you have things that you want to ask now in the time that we have for Q&A, make sure to write it down on the paper. Um, what happens when you speak out in the room here, at least, is we have nothing miking you. And so anyone virtual, we're, that's why we're restating it, is so that anyone virtual can come in and the recording for the integrity of the recording as well. So that's why we do ask if you do have a question and we can answer it, please write it on the paper. I'll come and grab it and I'll bring it up to these guys. So if you guys want to take a minute. I guess if there's anything else that you guys want to cover briefly. I will just say full disclosure, um, I've worked, and I'm, this, is, this is in the middle of a mistake on my part. Um, I started my surveys just now. <laughs> so Danae, if you're one of those people, you're not alone. Danae, you got to walk back home. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> and fill the survey out along the way. Yeah. I mean, I'll just do it on the plane. We'll It'll send you fun. home on the Megabus because they have wireless. You can do it but on there. But I will, I will say, okay, just full disclosure, one-eyed person here. I was sitting there trying to sign my consent, and I'm going through it, and it just keeps telling me, like, you're missing something. And I'm like, where am I missing it? So if you're on a computer, the text is small. Keep in mind you may have to scale all areas of the page to look for checkboxes because some of the checkboxes you have to do are on one side of the page and some of them are on the other. And if you're only looking over here and your blind side doesn't see over here, then you just, yeah, you might miss something. I missed it like five times before I finally realized what was there. So if you get frustrated, you're not alone. It's part of the fun of us having vision, you know, impairments of some sort, whether we're monocular or we have lower vision. Um, so <laughs> that was fun. I have another question for you, and I'm sorry the folks that are watching from around the world, we can't quite do this, but I'll try to tell you how many hands go up. If you could indicate by raising your hand, uh, if you were not offered at the time of your initial diagnosis, genetic testing, and what I mean by that is CASEL or impact genomic testing, so they call that the gene expression panel or next generation sequencing or PRAIM. Not the chromosomal analysis, but genetic testing, genomic testing. If you've not been offered that at the time of your initial diagnosis, can you raise your hand? And I'm going to raise my hand. Okay. Well, a large majority of the people are not raising their hand, which to me is important because I think it's very, personally, I think it's very important information. Um, but I'm glad to see that. Okay. I just, in closing, I want to talk one more thing about urgency. This is a registry that's going to go on and live forever, we hope. So people think, like Danae, there's no urgency. I'll get to it. I'll get to it. I'll get to it. Question. Um, the, the issue here is that you never know when somebody's going to say, I need your data. I'm doing this research study. 
Hannah gets an application. Hannah approves the application. We don't just let anybody in, and we don't just let anybody have this data. They have to be vetted. So we've got a medical community. We've got people who are looking at the applicants coming in to saying, oh, yeah, this person qualifies, and we give them the data. If you haven't finished your surveys, you just missed out. Now you're not going to be included in whatever research study this is going for. And we already have collaborated with um, another organization. So they've already extracted data. So if you're not in this registry, you just missed out. Your information didn't go over. So please understand that there is urgency. It's not something to just keep putting off and putting off and putting off. It's something to do um, and, and keep it up. Go back in, especially if you're metastatic. This is the number one thing for metastatic folks. If you change clinical trials, you change treatment options, you have side effects, get in your registry and document all of that. That's, it's very important to have that documented because researchers are going to look and say, oh, look, they did all of these trials, and this, they're, still, they're still searching. And so it's going to help give researchers a better picture. So make sure you go back and you update often. It's extremely important for people who are metastatic. I know it's a pain in the neck, but please just add it to your list of to-dos because it's really going to be helpful. Awesome. Okay, so our first question, and this is actually a really good point, and I hope that you know, between all of us we can answer this, but it just says, I went through treatment years ago, and I may have forgotten certain specifics, so let's just pretend you forgot the tumor di you know, dimensions. You forgot maybe your exact castle testing results. Um, how detailed are the survey questions, I think would be the main question. But then the other part of that is, if I've forgotten that information, is there a way for me to get it in hindsight? Oh, yes. You can go into your portal if you have one with your medical practitioner. My chart is one of the common ones. You can pull information from there. If your information is not on the MyChart or whatever portal your doctor in your medical facility is using, you can just go to your doctor and say, hey, can you give me this information? Your records are yours. You are entitled to them. So you just ask them for your records. They'll give them to you. And then you can put the information in correctly instead of trying to remember and maybe not getting it quite right. OK. Um, this is another good question. Are doctors telling the patients about the registry? Well. <laughs> <laughs> when they yes can. And no. Yes and no. Um, there is another registry out there that has worked very closely with metastatic doctors, not so closely with the ophthalmic com um, community. So there are, there's a lot of doctors that we have sent information to, lots of information, but unfortunately the doctors are busy and they don't know how to incorporate it into their, into their daily visits. And so it's not getting out there. We have tried and we have tried and we have tried. But um, they, it's just, they, they just can't seem to get in the swing of it. So we are still working on it. We're still sending them out. We're still asking them to, to, um, to be a part of it. We're going to medical meetings where we're talking to doctors and explaining this to them and how important it is. So we are working on getting more people. Again, it's a global registry. So we are trying to work with all the doctors all around the world, which is a huge task. But we are trying. But the answer to your question is no. They're not passing out. There's, I think it makes them feel a little awkward because, you know, they don't really know who to promote and who not to promote. Yeah. I mean, I know we have, like, postcards and things that we give out, like she said, at, at different conventions where we're meeting with doctors, you know, as an organization meeting with these doctors. Um, I know that if you get, say, a new patient packet, 
Um, isn't there a, a registry card included in the new patient packet that they can sometimes get from their ocular oncologist? So if we happen to be one of those, you know, the, the ocular oncologist is giving you as a new patient a patient packet, it could be included in that, you know, packet of information about ACIS and about what we can do and help. Um, but it's, we, I mean, as patients, we can tell our doctors, hey, I joined this registry. Did you know about it? Like, that's something that we can do. Okay, so this question is, um, how does the result of the genomic test from the survey correlate to CASEL findings? Um, we haven't correlated anything with CASEL yet because we're not at the five-year mark. Um, and and uh, it's, it's really hard for us to explain this, but when a registry first starts, a lot of people discount it because it's patient input. So it does, they don't really start looking at things until we were about five years in. Because if they look too early, the data is skewed by a small majority. So we need to have a large majority and have it acquired over a long period of time before that the information can really be validated. So we're not to that point yet where we've actually coordinated with Castle's data. Um, we have a great relationship with Castle, and we are going to do that. It's just not quite time yet. Um, and then the hair and eye color, um, that, that is, uh, here's, here's a, a good scenario is we had a patient who is um, of African-American descent who was told by her ophthalmologist that um, people of her type do not get ocular melanoma, which is not true. She has dark hair, she has dark eyes, she has dark skin. By having everybody put in the registry, it's going to show physicians that it is not all blonde hair, blue-eyed, light-skinned people that get ocular melanoma. So while that might not be necessarily a medically validated uh, topic that, that is going to do anything for research in a, in a sense, what it's going to do is it's going to show the, the, the results of a large snapshot of people that it is not typically blonde hair, blue-eyed, fair-skinned people that get it. Anybody can get it. So that's why we ask those questions is because we're trying to find out is it really, is that really the, the person who gets it? Is it really the median age of a 65-year-old male who gets it? That's what their data shows, but let's find out what our data shows. So it, that's why we're asking that type of questions. It's more to show how is ocular melanoma presenting, because it can present in anybody, and we, we want to make sure that, that doctors are not misdiagnosing or forgetting or not diagnosing somebody because they are biased thinking they have to be blonde hair, blue eyed. Because we're looking at people who diagnose ocular melanoma in the beginning are most usually optometrists. And so they're not very educated in ocular melanoma. So they're gonna read in a textbook, blonde hair, blue eyed, fair skin, oh, you're not that, so you can't have that, you must have something else. And then they, they go misdiagnosed for a long time, they're treated for things that they don't have, and so that this is a way for us to kind of get the, get the correct snapshot of what a uveal melanoma patient looks like. All right, do we have any more questions from the room? quick technical. Um, so I'm trying to fill out the, a survey right now, but there's no finish button when I'm trying to do it on my phone. It's not that user-friendly okay. right now. 2.0 will okay. be more user-friendly yep. on your phone. Sometimes if you turn your phone the other way, you'll find it. Okay. Thank you. I just wanted to call that out so people yeah. don't, you know, like yeah. if they're trying to that. fill it out. Like, yeah. 
It's definitely better on the computer, okay. but if you are on your phone, turn your phone landscape this way. Okay. And then the button should show up on the bottom. Sorry, I'm doing real real time here. Yeah. We're looking, looking, looking. And it also depends on your phone. It depends on what yeah. browser yeah. you're using. And it depends on for sure a lot of factors. Yeah. Like so it's best to do this on a on a on a computer. Okay. No, thank you. I just wanted to call that. Just thank you. Appreciate it. No, that's thank that's you. a good point. Um, and that really can that can really affect a lot of different things, phone versus versus computer. Um, so really quick, if you guys have any questions, if any patient needs a one-on-one -on -one walkthrough, Hannah and I can get on, we can get on Zoom with you. We can walk you through it. We can show you how to do it if you're at all uneasy. If you cannot see well enough to do it on a computer, we can assist you with that. So, you know, reach out to either Hannah or myself. My email is melody, M-E-L-O-D-Y, at akirinsight.org. You're welcome to reach out to me or go to the, um, the website, akirinsight.org, and hit the contact button, and we'll get an email. We thank you so much. Yes, and I had one final question that I think would be a good question for us to cover here. For anyone who's listening or who's here who's a caregiver, can a caregiver fill out the survey on behalf of the patient, say because of vision issues or even for someone who's passed away? Is that, is that valuable information? Yes. I think, I'm hoping it's not too far back, but there is a point, here it is, yes. where you can say I'm, I'm not the participant myself, but I'm a caregiver or a supporter or a child or whatever. And yeah. largely, as, I mean, as long as, you know, same, some of those medical things, like the, the general gist of these surveys, the ones that I have done, like are natural history. They're asking you, where did you live? You know, things like that. Um, things about your environment, things about maybe your stress levels, like just lots of different key factors as you as a person, what makes up you, like your natural history. But the stuff that's diagnosis specific, that maybe you need to get a hold of your, your castle diagnostic testing, or you need to get a hold of the original measurements from when you were diagnosed of like the size of the tumor, or maybe you had a nevus. Like those kind of technical things, you can ask your doctor for that information. It legally belongs to you. Um, but those are not necessarily all of, it's not all just, I have to have all my medical information in front of me to scan in right away. Um, so just be assured that there are a good balance of those surveys where you're just answering questions and the ones where you can upload medical things. The, the address part in there that Danae referred to, that's, that was put in, it's indefinite. You can put every address you've ever lived from birth on, and that is to track possible clusters. Um, so you might not think, oh, I don't know when I put in all that information, but you might miss something. Maybe there was a town you lived in that had a high incident, and then we can put pieces together. Um, Dr. Sato's office is already trying to do that with his patients, uh, but if we could get more people to fill out these surveys with the, their, you know, very detailed resident history, um, that will help track trends of they could possibly coming up due to clusters. All right. It looks like we have one last question from Kenneth. Sorry, this just has to do with the age also. I know that it says, you know, the patient's 18. What if the patient is younger than 18? The can parent. The parent, okay. I just yeah. wanted to make sure that, you know, it still would get those people. Included. Yes. Yeah, we do have very few pediatric, but we do have some of those parents. Yes, parents can fill it out. It doesn't have to be a caregiver. You can get your brother, sister, mother, father, neighbor. Anybody can fill it out for you. Um, you can also... Des um, designate somebody that if you were to pass that they you know tell them hey if i pass would you please put it in the registry and get that last data because um the your deceased date uh is very important as well because it's going to show 
you know, and, and the cause of death, because not all of us are going to pass away from ocular melanoma. There's a lot of other stuff out there. So, you know, but this is good stuff to know. So if you can rely on somebody to, at some point, go back in your registry, um, you know, maybe put that in your, in your um, end of life planning that somebody, you know, tidy up your registry for you and finalize that, because that would be a good, a good thing as well. Oh, Thank you all so much. We really point. appreciate it. We're going to let you go on a break, and we'll be back here in uh, about um, uh, eight minutes, if you could. Yes. So, like we said, this is where you go. Some of you guys have already started to do it on your phone. Um, we have established it's probably going to be much easier to do on the computer, both for visibility reasons and others. Uh, but make sure to share this with other patients that you are friends with. Sorry, I'm going to just take steps. Um, talk to other patients, tell other patients about it, tell your doctors about it. Word of mouth is kind of one of the most powerful things that we can use as patients. All right, thank you again to our sponsors. We're so glad that they're here and we hope that you guys are taking advantage of, you know, as we take breaks, as we go um, to the end of the day, you can chat with them at their booths outside as well as virtually you can check in with them. Um, and just coming up after our break is the session with myself and a couple of patients. Thank you so much for joining us today on the I Believe podcast, brought to you by Castle Biosciences. Please be sure to subscribe, and if you're so inclined, send this episode over to friends, family, and share on your social media to help spread awareness around OM. If you have a moment, leave us a brief review or consider making a donation to the links in the show notes to keep our podcast going. Feel free to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Insight. We'll see you next time on the I Believe podcast.